one thing you should know about me. I specialize in a very specific type of security. Way down in Missouri where I heard this melody. The the best films of the last decade. I'm your host, Contrera. Without further ado, let's get to it. Let's begin with, what was your favourite film of 2010? My favourite film of 2010 was Inception. Tell us about Inception in case there's anyone on the planet that doesn't know what it's about. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Christopher Nolan film from... Uh, I, think he, I think he did it in between... The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Um, and it's sort of largely viewed as a, as a sort of favour um, from, I think, the studio after after The Dark Knight um, came out. And it's just a Leonardo DiCaprio and a bunch of other people. Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. Um, and it just concerns um, dreams and perception and, 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 and whatnot. It's basically a heist film set in, set in dreamland. Um, quite a good film, quite a clever film. Um, very, very sort of thought-provoking. You really have to have your, your, your A-game when, you, when, you're, when you're watching Inception. It, and it only starts to make sense, I think, right at the very end. Um, but that's what I like about Christopher Nolan in general, is his films actually are, you know, very thought-provoking. Gives his audience a lot of credit. He asks them to really sort of think about it. Um, but the rewards are, are that much greater. And I, I think it's a film that's gotten better with age. I think it was regarded as a, as a good film at the time. Um, you know, it did receive an Oscar Best Film nomination. But I think it's, it, it's kind of, as time has gone on, it's probably um, gotten better. It, it's, it's become even more revered. Especially the science fiction genre. Why did you choose it? There are a lot of films every year I've discovered by trying to pick one film per year. Yeah. Did you have criteria when you were choosing? No, not not especially. I, I, I was just after a film that that I that I feel in more than anything else. So, I mean, because you, you're right, you do see a lot of a lot of good films that you particularly like, but some films just really appeal to you more more than other films. Um, I do think there are certain things that definitely appeal to me in general. You'll probably see this coming up as well um, later on. Um, Hans Zimmer soundtrack, um, that to me makes a big difference. Um, I went and downloaded that straight away. <laughs> um, just um, 
very thoughtful film. Um, I, I wouldn't call it ambiguous per se, but there are bits of it that are ambiguous, I suppose. But it is still a, a basic linear plot. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, exactly. Within um, a plot, within a plot, within, within a plot. plot. <laughs> um, um, but you do have to think. It, it is not gonna, it, it's, it's the opposite of um, a Michael Bay film, in my view. Okay. Um, now, as to why that appeals to me, I, 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 guess, I think you need to elaborate I, on I just, why just, it's the opposite of a Michael Bay well, film. I mean, like, do I? Do I? Do yes. I need to elaborate. Yes, I mean, that's the point of the podcast: is that people don't necessarily know everything you know about. So, talk about Michael Bay's filmmaking versus Christopher Nolan's well, filmmaking. How, how does it Michael Bay describes his own filmmaking? Um, for he, he says there's no shame in making films for thirteen-year-old boys. Um, and I think that, although I think that does 13-year-old boys a bit of a discredit, if you ask me. Um, it's, uh, his particular brand of filmmaking is, and Michael Bay's particular brand of filmmaking is just quick shot, flash, lots of banging. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's just not, not particularly thoughtful at all. I, 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 have, I, I hold that I could direct a Michael Bay film. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a director, I know nothing about directing, but I bet I could do as good a job. It needs a lot of coverage, though. When you have a film where it's like quick shot, quick shot, quick shot, you must, as a director, have to spend millions on setting up this shot that you only see for, like, ten seconds. Yeah, but that's why you have, you know, second units and third units and whatnot. And if I've got a £250 million budget, I reckon I could do that. Well, that's just what I'm saying. It's just very expensive because they're both known as really... Um, spendy uh, directors because Christopher Nolan gets massive yeah. budgets he gets the yeah. biggest budgets ever for yeah, a non yeah. superhero franchise mm. etc movie so much better um, and what, what you end up with with I think I think I, I mean if, if you look at the numbers in terms of who, who makes the more money I, I, I don't doubt I, I mean I would imagine Michael Bay makes as much as maybe even mm. more than Christopher Nolan come to think of it but that's just not what this is about to me yeah, my argument is you can make a blockbuster and have it be a good film, and and that, that Christopher Nolan sort of personifies that. Michael Bay does the exact opposite. He he, he just he 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 panders the lowest common denominator of audience. And yeah, you can go along and you can like it if you like lots of flashes and bangs and whatnot. But um, the film itself could be better, quite clearly. Okay, so we've talked about Michael Bay for long enough. So yeah. tell me a bit more about this film. So you've talked about soundtrack, mm. you've talked about genre, and you particularly like sci-fi, and you think it's a yes. kind of more mainstream yes. sci-fi. Uh, what else? Performances? I mean, what are you getting from your actors there? Um... I don't think you're getting anything spectacular um, performance-wise. It's not that kind of film, I, I, I don't think. Um, it's not the kind of film where, where the actors can sort of throw themselves into very specific kind of uh, almost costume drama-y style performances. Um, so you're not really going to get that. What you're going to get is standardised performances in, li- in line with the... With the script. I think you're being a bit unfair. I think Leo and um, Marion Cotillard particularly have very good theatrical dramatic performances. I think they're okay. I, I think with, with Leo, I think if you, I, could, I could probably name five films where there's a better performance from him. Yeah, but we're not comparing him to himself. We're saying why it's good in this film. I'm, I'm not sure it's a film which necessarily stretches <laughs> actors in general. It doesn't really need to. So that's not necessarily what you're looking for. Thinking about your choices, 
for yeah, this ten. A, okay, so it's a good point actually. Do I do I value acting in that in that regard? I mean, I do value acting in general. However, I don't think I would my my choice of best film would necessarily be based on acting. But I'm pretty sure it wouldn't. It wouldn't oh. be the only factor. Okay, so you said music, you said genre, so it's so it's directing. Yeah. Do you like set pieces? Um, I, I I just like it. It's a very complete plot. I think I think sometimes sometimes when you watch a film, you can feel like there's scenes missing, or that there, or that the, that the plot isn't that the narrative is isn't really going uh, completely A to Z. And I think with with a Christopher Nolan film in general, but particularly with Inception, is um, it, it's very complete. You know, he starts certain things off in, in early scenes and then they, they play out and everything sort of like loops in and ties up very, very well. At the end of it, you feel quite fulfilled that, that you've really seen a complete film there. Um, and I think that that isn't always the case with a lot of films. It's just something missing from it. And, and I, I give that value because I think it's easy. I mean, to me, that's, that, that's a good script. It's very easy to screw that up. Well, that's um, Christopher Nolan and his brother, isn't it? Joe Nolan. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote it. So maybe that's to do with the, like, um, syncopation between the brothers or something. Mm. Yeah. So you've got two talented members of a family who are um, working on a project and they both have kind of these, like, singular Mm. minds. Nobody else really... Yeah makes films like they do. Like, when you think of similar films, I just think of other films that are made by Christopher Nolan. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, Memento. Oh, that's also made by Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone else who's making that highbrow action sci-fi dramas? Anybody? I, I think, is there anybody else that's making sort of films that are that sort of um, cerebral in, in some respects um, mm. uh, w- with those kind of budgets I'm not so sure I think you, you, you can do it in a, in a slightly more localised area but I think if you well maybe maybe actually um, I, I, I would sort of argue maybe someone like Denis Villeneuve is, is, is trying to do mm-hmm. something similar but um, and but, I have a feeling his films might come up on your list oh, is that I'm right? guessing is I don't know right? we'll find out, we'll find out. <laughs> um, he's certainly my favourite director of modern times and yet because I have a different set of criteria none of his films make it onto my list Mm. yeah one nearly did and we'll get to that um but my criteria is different anyway back to your criteria yeah um and I, 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 I Sorry, think... you said Vilna, I took your subject then. You said Villeneuve is the closest you can think of of someone... Of a contemporary yeah. director, yes. Yeah. I, I might argue going back that, that Steven Spielberg in his kind of E.T. Ready for the Lost Ark heyday was, was doing something similar. And people will say, well, no, that... that... I don't think it's as uh, cerebral, no, like not. you no, said. No, absolutely not. But, but he... It's high concept, Yeah, but maybe. he knew how to create the, the, the film. He knew what worked and what didn't work. And I think... That's what I would argue about Christopher Nolan sort of knows what works and what doesn't work. And I, and I sort of appreciate as well the effort to do something that's quite complicated, to actually dedicate your talk to a very high concept that, quite frankly, if it goes wrong, you really get egg on your face quite easily. Um, I'm always very appreciative of directors who, who attempt very sort of high concepts like that and pull them off as well. Hmm. Okay. Mm. So is there anything else you want to say about Inception? Um, not particularly. Um, if you haven't seen it, well worth watching. Um, you need to have your thinking cap on. <laughs> um, you, you know, you can't you can't afford to drift away from that film. You need to be watching it constantly. Hmm. So some people might think, oh, it's too much effort. Um, 
do you think he was living... Uh, well, this is a spoiler alert, although I can't imagine anyone hasn't ha um, watched Inception. Um, do you think the spinning top was going to stop or keep spinning? Well, that's the ambiguity, isn't oh. it? Uh, which I do like as well. So, plot twist. Dun, dun, dun. What I didn't tell you when you were coming up with these lists mm -hmm. is I was going to assess every one of these films for whether they pass the Bechdel test or uh -huh. not. But you don't know what the films are. No, so I'm doing it live, oh, on air, wow. Wow. with my Google. So I've just looked at Inception. Yeah. You can't make your changes now. That's why I wanted okay. to wait no, until you go Inception. That's fine. Okay, so the answer is it's dubious. Okay. So we have Ellen Page's character, who's Ariadne, and we have um, Marion Cotillard's character, who's called, what's her name, Mal? Mal? I think it's Mal. Yeah. You don't even remember character names, which I think says I it remember, all. I can remember um, Leonardo DiCaprio's is... Uh... Well, I don't. Oh, God, no, no, no. <laughs> um, no, Right. So um, the problem is, is that if Mal is a figment of Leonardo's imagination which she kind of is or in his mind for some of the film then to what extent does she even count but let's say she does count because she's a female identifying character on screen there are yeah. very few scenes where two women talk to each other and christopher nolan is he has a lot of female characters but they are never mm -hmm. the most prominent mm -hmm. and i have to say it's almost as if after inception he made a bit more of an effort, yeah. I think. Yeah. So um, that's a just about pass. It kind of says here that um, El uh, Ariadne and Mal have a brief conversation that's about love, mm. which is also dubious because it's supposed to not be about yeah. a man. So 2010, uh, your first film, not looking good for the Bechdel test. Oh, well, I, I think I can live with it. I'll find him. Girl, I've been looking. I said I'll find him. For my list, I used criteria that I kind of made up myself, but it was along the lines of they had to be a film that passes the FFF test, um, which means that they were either directed by, written by, starring, produced by women. Mm -hmm. So try to get as many Fs as in female, female, female as possible. Yeah. Um, and I felt like they had to be a film that did something to improve matters for the film world and for women in the film world. Okay. So I was very rarely picking what was actually my dead favourite yeah. film, which was sad in itself because that meant that the films I liked the most, and I'm sure Inception would have been in my list, um, couldn't couldn't yeah. really win because they didn't go under my Bechdel criteria. Um, before I announce my film, were there any in 2010 that were your backups or...? Um, Second place, runners-up? Not especially. Um, it, was, it was actually quite hard, 2010. 2010, mm. 2014, I found quite hard. It was okay. 2014 later. But um, uh, when, when I sort of weighed it all up and I looked through it, I thought it, it's the only film that was that sort of stood out to okay. me as something I particularly liked. 
Um, so in terms of mine, I actually, what I did was I went through the whole list and I started writing all the ones that might mean something. So I'm going to read out a few. Um, so these are the nearly made it but didn't yeah. win. Salt with Angelina Jolie, because yeah. I thought that was an excellent um, action thriller with a woman starring in it, and I think they'd written it for Tom Cruise, and Angelina yeah. Jolie played the character. Um, the Kids Are All Right, which it was nominated for an Oscar and was about a grown-up lesbian couple and had Julianne Moore and Annette yeah. Benning. It, it, uh, it's not even that great a film. I just think it's a nice story coming from that perspective. Yeah. Um, Fish Tank, which is the Andrew Arnold film, which mm. have you seen it? Michael Fassbender's? I haven't, no. It's an excellent film, and that was very nearly my film, because also she's a British director, and I'm not not entirely sure. Oh, no, I've had, I've got some. I haven't really got that many British directors on my list. Um, really amazing film that stayed with me. Very kind of rough around the edges about council estate, but also about the relationship between men and women. Um, and Andrew Arnold, obviously, so a female director. Yeah. Um, Black Swan, Darren Aronofsky, mm-hmm. because I thought it was a really interesting dichotomy between two female characters. It was mostly women on screen talking to each other in this really dramatic... Yeah. Yeah. Very high concept, um, almost horror. I would say it's almost a horror film. Would you say? Yeah, it's not yeah. far away. I suppose. Mm. And I think Natalie Portman's amazing in it. And then Rabbit Hole. Um, which is a film which is also nominated for an Oscar, and I can't remember who the director was. Maybe it was a female director, but it stars Aaron Eckhart and Nicole Kidman, and it's about they've lost a child and relationships they develop with, including Nicole has to forgive the boy who runs over her child in his car yeah. and it's it's all of this so they were all ones where I thought really great performances or or directors or or what have you, and kind of bring female issues to the core uh but my winner is winter's bone yeah which uh, is an amazing film and is one of the first by or one of the first like with um uh notoriety by deborah granick who has done a lot of things since she did a good film called leave no trace last year and uh yeah i really like what she does um i love the film because it introduced jennifer lawrence to us Um, no winter's bone my goodness yeah that was what I think it was because I think she's 17 and she's one of the youngest right. people. Now you're making me worry that she, that we'd had Hunger Games. No, I really don't think so. I think they came after Winter's Bone. Yeah. No, yeah. It was definitely the first thing I'd definitely seen of her. I think she'd been in like some teen movies and a couple of like TV shows mm. and things. But it's an amazing performance from her. It was made on, I've got the budgets as well. It cost two million to make, was nominated for Oscars, made 16 million. So eight times its budget, but also, yeah. you know, a tiny film that was never expected to go anywhere. Directed by a woman, which can't have been that easy. Had some yeah. really interesting performances. It's this incredibly gritty story about... Um, I call them frozen, frozen westerns. Frozen westerns. Cold, cold, yeah, westerns, cold westerns. Like yeah. yeah. Like about a disparate community which is being taken over basically by meth in terms of people becoming addicted to it and also it's it's become like a business proposition yeah. in a place where um uh, that's really it's really hard for the poorer um, communities to actually get ahead in life unless they start doing things like peddling drugs um just a really thoughtful and quite sad film, which I would say is Granick's 
oeuvre. She's like, she's definitely, she casts her eye over things. Like, not quite documentary, but there's definitely, like, a naturalism about it. And she gives a, there's also, like, a sense of thriller to it. There's some tension coming in all of this. And I just thought that... This was a film that shows you don't need a massive budget. You don't need to have lots of um, famous people. She had an awful lot of, like, really good character actors in the cast. But most people, I'm guessing, were working for scale, so not being paid very much. You have this amazing central performance uh, from Jennifer Lawrence, who is completely believable. And it's nothing like anything she's ever done since. She doesn't really do small, gritty films anymore. No, I hope she no. goes back to it, because Jennifer Lawrence can be a really good actress, and I think that she's so Hollywood now. And I don't blame her. I think it's the studios, and that's what they put her in. And she is just fantastic to watch, and she's beautiful. But... um. I think that, um, well, I suppose David O. Russell hasn't made a film in a while. He normally sees her acting mm-hmm. talent. He but does. even then, it's a different kind of, there's an aggression to it. And I think that Granick's film is sad and, and thoughtful, but it isn't aggressive. Yeah. And it's just, it just shows what you can do with a small budget. So that's me, 2010, Winter's Bone. Deborah Granick. Also, um, that's uh, the most important thing. I've completely forgotten about this film, which I only found out recently, is that um, it was co-written by Granick with Anne Rossellini, and it was produced by a woman called Alex Madigan. So right. you've basically got quadruple F. There you go. You have female star, female writer, female director, female producer, there you go. which I don't think I've got on any of my other films. So that's a way to kick off a decade. Right, yeah. Any thoughts on Winter's Bone? Um, I like the I like the genre in ge- in, in general. Mm-hmm. Of, of like, like I said, I call them the cold western, of which you could have like. Frozen River and uh, what's that one with um, Jeremy Renner in Wind River. Wind River. <laughs> Frozen River. They're all called Wind River. Frozen. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, 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 I, I think I think that there's, there's sort of studies in um, in a more generic sense. There's sort of studies in um, failing communities. Um, yes. Uh, that are, that Small are, town America. That are off, as you say, that, that can be taken over by a sort of uh, mm. meth addiction or, or other little sort of elements, and, and, it, and it's sort of a. Uh, it's like a depressing look at, at the realities of, um, you know, a, dip, a sort of poor American life in the North. Um, you get you get a similar thing in, in the South as well, I'm sure, but um, I kind of like them. I've always liked them. The film has a resolution as well. Crime always seems more sinister in the cold, don't you think? But there you are. Oh, I don't know. That's a good point. I was just going to say you can get away with more crime when you're so isolated mm. from people, so I think that's part of it. But what I would say is we've made it sound like a really depressing film, yeah. and, and there are parts where it's bad because it's laying out these... This the problems of this community, but it has a nice positive resolution. Not oh, let's all tie this up in a little bow and everything's fine. More let's get over this individual hump. Yeah. Let's try and be better people. Yeah. And I find that that's a a really like realistic and yet hopeful yeah. way to end a movie. Yeah. And what I would say about Wind River is that I feel like it's very male gazy. We've talked about this before. I had some problems with it, even when we were watching it, because there's some mm. films of like attacking and raping women, which I know is the subject matter. But for this, you know, there's a slightly different angle when it's about drug use and how that affects communities. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing... There's nothing male gazy about it. In fact, Jennifer Lawrence, like I just said, one of the most beautiful women in the world, looks like she's young. She's a young girl in it anyway, but her hair's not as blonde. She's just wearing normal 
clothes. Um, there's nothing like glamorous about the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe that's where cold westerns are quite interesting yeah. because you don't need to do much in terms of um, like selling yeah. the film based on some fashion, fashionable, glamorous reason. Okay, so. Okay. Winter's Bone. It takes fierce will to get ahead in this world. Come on, hit me. Hit me. Come on, son. He's afraid of you. You expect things that a mulling adult can accomplish. So, Nick, 2011. 2011. I'm getting my little Google machine out. Okay, there were a few films this year um, which I considered. Okay, uh, do you want to talk about your... Um, the nearly near misses. Well, there was a couple that, that, that they weren't really they weren't real near misses at all. I, I always okay. So this case. is still and of all the years we're going to talk about. This was the one I, I didn't even have to think about. Okay. Going to be, but I also but there were a couple of other films that I when I was sort of doing my research and I thought, mm, yeah, shame, shame they haven't they happened to fall this year because <laughs> if they had fallen any other year they might have been in. Ah. Uh, and the two that, that I particularly liked, um, well, one the first one was Moneyball. Oh, yes, I, I thought you were going to pick Moneyball. I love a sports biopic. Controversy. I love a sports biopic. Yes. And I think Moneyball is very good at that. Mm. Um, it, and it just hammers something home, which I quite happen to agree with, which is that sport is actually about statistics and, and you know, not feeling and, and some sort of ethereal concept of... Uh, success or whatever it happens to be. It's actually it's actually much more straightforward than that. Uh, the other, the other Before thing, you go ahead, yeah. Moneyball failed the Bechdel test. Yeah, well, it's not going well so far baseball, for you, this, baseball, is it? So, you, you know, Unreal people, so yeah. I suppose, yeah. yeah. Okay, go on. Uh, the second film, which um, I didn't, again, I, I, I like this film because it's probably a, a, a return to form for a particular person, um, was uh, Midnight in Paris. Um, oh, this is even controversial. Yeah. So Woody Allen, a person who has yeah. been, let me use the word, cancelled. Yeah, um, but I did think this was one of the best films he's done mm. since, I think you have to go back to the 1990s, really, to find, maybe even further to find the film. That's, and it's really just a very simple and, and clever little piece of filmmaking about a guy who finds himself, a modern-day writer who finds himself back in the golden era of Paris and in, in Paris and like was it 1920s or maybe well we don't want to talk too much about this because yeah. this is your second choice and yeah. I want to tell you that um, it did pass the test yeah. but it only in one or two scenes yeah. because again this is the problem with these male directors and their male protagonists especially when they're Woody Allen and they're you know yeah. allegories for himself um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's always him talking to women him you know, Owen Wilson does a commendable mm. job. Right, anyway, let's not waste any more time on this. Your number one... My dun, number dun, one dun, dun. question about it is um, Tree of Life. Ah, I see. Now, of yeah. course, that's one of your favourite films ever, 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 it isn't is, it? It is, yeah. It's um, okay. a fantastic piece of filmmaking. Um, yeah, just uh, fairly... I mean... Simplistic plot, stroke, incredibly complicated plot, depending on what point of view you take. But it's full, hashtag dinosaurs. But it's full of, of all kinds of hidden messages, and you, it's one of these films that you take away with it to take away from it whatever whatever you want in some respects. Why don't you try and mm. explain the plot? Well, it's essentially about the relationship between um, a, a boy and his a boy and his father in some respects. Um, um, and his brother. 
Yeah, there's, there's sort of two two basic time periods it's set in. One one is theoretical modern day with Sean Penn playing the the sort of son, and then there's there's a sort of earlier period where it's basically Sean Penn's childhood in which Brad Pitt plays his his um, father, mm-hmm. and you sort of flip flop between these two. Um, with various lessons being learnt by Sean Penn, and you learn kind of how he feels about his father. Interspersed with all that, roughly speaking, 20 minutes to half an hour's worth of footage of dinosaurs and mm-hmm. the, the birth of life and the birth of the Earth and possibly the birth of the universe. Um, and, and you might be thinking, what has that got to do with anything? And who the hell spends 20 minutes to half an hour shoving that into their film? Um, but it, it, there's, it, there's something very grand about that conception. That's you, you can walk. I, 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 when, when I first saw this film, I, I chatted with a friend about it, and we, we both. I, I, he, he felt that religion had a lot, had a lot, had a lot to do with it. I wasn't so sure that religion had anything to do with it. Um, I, well, d- director Terence Malick mm. ha- definitely has a relationship with religion. Mm. So I don't know whether. Your friend knew about that going into the film, but they also talk all the way through the film about grace. That's the most important thing, and that is very much a concept conceived in the Bible. Absolutely. And you've forgotten the most important part about this film, which is that it introduced us to Jessica. It introduced us to Jessica Chastain. There we go. So she is. um, She doesn't really do that much in the film. She spins people around, doesn't she? And she (laughs) she apparently personifies grace I never really understood that but I can understand why there's a religious motif there because it's about how you act and how you accept your fate and things like that yeah. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe religion isn't the right word, and spiritual is well, better. Well, I, I, I took it. I took a different view, which is I, I, I took that the the, the, the a sort of that Malik introduces to all these elements of, of you know prehistoric creatures and how they act, and then sort of brings humanity into it and says, "Well, are humans acting any different? Or is this is this the end of the, the natural flow of evolution?" Are we the fight? But you but you really can read this a dozen different ways, and you wouldn't be wrong whichever way you read it. But it, it, it's, it's a film which exists on an epic, epic scale. Um, I've only ever really seen one film, and probably my other, one of my other most favourite films that I've seen that, that deals with something this big, which is 2001. It's the only film I, I, I actually draw a comparison between the two. It's probably why I liked it so much, actually, because I, I immediately watched it and think that's, that's the, the nearest thing to 2001 I've ever seen, really. Um, it was also Malick's, what is it, his fifth? Film. Yeah, was it? Was this it's, the first film after he had his huge long break? No, because he done oh. he done um, Badlands and Days of Heaven. Then he had a yes. massive break to do, oh, then, waiting for the Thin Red Line. Oh, the Thin Red Line. And then he did uh, the New World. Yes, um, which is one I haven't seen. Um, and I think so. I think this is number five. So by the how way, long so between so the so New talking, World? Well, between the okay, about five years. I want to say. Okay, so then he starts speeding up because then uh, towards the up. end of this decade he starts spewing them yeah, out at least one a year. Oh my god, what have I been doing for thirty years? I, I gotta get some stuff I've been done. contemplating yeah. live um, but, but with that, a fisheye lens. But that's that's five films in thirty years. Um, uh, yeah, that's, They're good films, though. We've got sort of twenty year hiatus in between. It has to be said. But, yes. Um, is there any? Do you know what the reason is for him taking that hiatus? I know because he, he was pretty successful. Yeah. Well. Days of Heaven and Badlands. He he made Badlands in a very indie environment, almost outside the studio system. Yeah. Was he an Austin person? 
Um, possibly not. Yeah. Okay. Possibly not. He just strikes but, me very much as an independent filmmaker. Well, he filmmaker. is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think he made Days of Heaven in the studio mm. system, but it was one of those films that probably ran over budget. He was probably very awkward in the way he was directing. Mm. I'm just guessing a little bit here. And I think he just got really turned off by the concept of, of, of that kind of filmmaking. Mm. Buggered off to Europe and and said screw you Hollywood and and I think he became, he, I mean, he didn't make any I think, I think underground became, European films no he didn't but I think he became <laughs> very very into um, documentary filmmaking at that point oh he did he make any documentaries um, he he has done I couldn't pick up anything but but yeah. I think the tree that all those dinosaur scenes the Tree of Life are actually sourced from a from a, from a production he was yes, attempting to do which was which going was, to be a documentary yeah. about creation yeah, and yeah. the dinosaurs yeah, which and never really panned out yes. so he just sort of bunged so it shoved it in yeah. 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 Just not a band, you know. If you, yeah. You've got it, you know, if you've got that spare footage <laughs> lying around, you might as well make use of it. I remember. Um, I don't often. I've reviewed a lot of films in my time, but I remember my review of Tree of Life because I didn't know much about him because mm. I hadn't seen Badlands or Days of Heaven, and I hadn't seen Thin Red Line at that point, and. Um, uh, I came out, I wrote my review, and my review said this film is either no stars or five stars. This yeah. might be the best yeah. film I've ever watched yeah. or the worst. There's definitely something unique to that film. It's not even Malick's work, because I think the rest of his work now is good but not amazing. I, I Whereas it, yeah. this film, I think... Right, I would yeah. literally was like, what the hell just happened to me? I remember I saw it um, in the middle of the day as well, which was un- unusual. Um, well, I did a lot of screen- more screenings in the day then, but um, it's a very strange thing to come out into the sunlight mm. after you've watched yeah, three hours yeah, of Tree yeah. of Life. Um, it's, it's not for everyone. I think that's the thing, the Tree of Life. It's, it's, it's three hours. It's art. It is it, it very, very much, much art. very much is. Yeah. And there are going to be, in, as you say, in the, in the audience, you're going to find as many people that dislike like it, <laughs> like it. In fact, you probably find more people that dislike it. If I'm honest with you, but but I think it won the Palm Door actually. If I'm, I'm right. Yeah. Um, and I think I've seen it only once since then. And I have to say, it was on TV, and it wasn't the same. It's very much a film that should be seen from start to finish on the big screen. Because yeah. I think you have to watch the whole thing to understand it. You yeah. know how some films are on TV and you can switch it on yeah. and you can get into it. That's not Tree of Life, particularly um, if you've never seen it before yeah. because you will not know yeah. what's going on I personally find the film a bit too dreamy in parts yeah. not, not necessarily dragging more you're searching for a plot I, th- I think that that's probably why I do like it more that, that, that's very much a personal thing to me that in terms of what I value in filmmaking and I, th- I think the levels of ambiguity and, and as you say dreaminess dreaminess is a very good word to describe it um, really appeal to Well, me. even the cinematography is very much like yeah. um, spinning in circles, yeah. being lower or higher, being in very much in the middle of something. Like the camera's like right in the middle. I remember all the stuff yeah. on the front lawn yeah. and the bit where the child gets in a fight, doesn't he? Or yeah. then, yeah, and then he's so ang- the dad's so angry. It's a real cinephile. It's a real sort of cinephile's film. Yeah. I think. I think. I think you re- if you like cinema, you love it. Yeah, but you mean I think you mean going back to our Scorsese episode. You mean cinema in terms of visuals and audio. I yeah. don't think you mean yeah, which is what I, which I clever think... plot, which is the opposite, really. Well, not the opposite, but you know, yeah. it's on the other end of the spectrum to Inception, yes. where yes, it is the visuals are amazing, but really that film's about the complex nature of the plot. Yeah, and I think maybe Tree of Life is about the complex nature of humans. And the earth, well, and as, as with a lot grace, of, as with whatever a lot of that means. 
Because you just sort of throw it out. You just sort of throw out there some some stuff uh, that that sort of flip flops between the very mundane, ordinary human life and mm-hmm. and, and some weird and wonderful other stuff that you that you're throwing in there, and you leave it to people to interpret. Mm-hmm. And, and I I really like that as a as a as a, as a kind of filmmaking. Um, he is very visual, um, and, and again, I give him more points than I think I give any other director for mm-hmm. just for treating cinema like art, for saying, well, it's a, it's a moving image, Let, let's do something arty with it. I don't think he does enough in this film, but he, for me, is the best cinematographer stroke director of Magic Hour. Mm. He really likes yeah. when the sun's setting. Well, there's a story that Days of Heaven took ages to make, didn't it? Because he insisted on oh. shooting the whole film at Magic Hour. Yeah. And I do love that because I think it truly is a yeah. magic time of day. Um, but that's when it gets into something like you could frame it on your wall, but are you necessarily going to watch it again and again? You might have the patience for it. I'm not sure I have the patience for watching Malik films. I'd have them on in the background, maybe, <laughs> like a, yeah. instead of concentrating on them. Although, um, you know, some of his later ones, uh, the, there's a bit more yeah. going on and yeah. he starts using yeah. a lot more actors. He goes into a kind of Robert Altman-like, um, what do you call it when you have an ensemble cast yeah. piece? Okay, anything yeah. else on Tree of Life? Um, three hours of dreamy heaven. <laughs> Or, or three, three hours of god-awful hell, yeah. depending, on, depending on who you are. Yeah. And just to end this, things aren't going very well for you because <laughs> uh, Tree of Life is even worse than yeah. Inception in the sense that um, Jessica Chastain, they could all be her. girls, yeah. If they're all girls, fine. But Jessica Chastain, I'm not even sure she has a name <laughs> and she doesn't talk to anyone other than I them. Because really. she has, doesn't she have two or three boys of, for children? I don't even think there's any named characters in it. No, exactly. Yeah. But for the Bechdel test, you're supposed to have a named female character. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, it, the test is not yeah. perfect because it doesn't like frame for the fact that, you know, no one has yeah. a character. But doesn't she have three sons? She has at least yeah. two sons. Yeah, so, so Malik could have like given her a daughter, and it would have passed the test. Changed everything. Changed the whole thing. <laughs> if you say so. First he cries too much, then he's too quiet, and you see it as some kind of personal vendetta. You think I'm exaggerating? We are now into my 2011 film, and I will give you my runners-up. Um, Shame by Steve McQueen. Have you seen Have I seen that? that? Might have done. I seem to be on a fast bender bent, but basically... A fast bender. Yeah, I'm on a fast bender, yes. Sorry, what a good joke. Um, Because um, it's about... He is a New York-based sex addict, and it's about the stressful way that he deals with his life, his addiction. He has a strange relationship with his sister, played by Karen Mulligan. And I just liked this film, and I thought, even though it's directed by a man um, and stars a white man, um, I still feel like it's an important film to talk about male issues. Yeah, like, it's yeah. a real... I, when I watched it, I absolutely hated it because I was so stressed out by it. But that's how amazing Steve McQueen is in his direction to make you feel everything from the characters Um, and I just thought that although I'm trying to talk about women's issues I think it's worth highlighting when uh, emotional male films are made because they're also 
very rarely made. Yeah, yeah. So that's a shame. Um, then um, another film, which is one of my favourites, which not many people saw at all, which is called Margaret, which is a really long film by um, Kenneth Lonergan. <laughs> who uh, did Manchester by the Sea, and it stars Anna Paquin, and she's this really pretentious university student who's at this um, elite uh, small college, and she accidentally gets into this... um, altercation with this bus driver who's played by Mark Ruffalo I believe and um, then someone gets run over and it's semi her fault and it's about how everybody, you haven't seen Margaret I have not, no, it's about how everybody in the film deals with the trauma and how everybody's going through their own thing she has a complicated relationship with her mother um, the relationship she has to class and uh, gender and race um, and I just think it's I think Anna Paquin is absolutely amazing in it and nobody really saw it it was so small and I think Lonergan nearly left filmmaking or had to leave filmmaking mm-hmm. for a bit because he couldn't get any more work it was critically loved but nobody saw it because it's right, like yeah. at least three hour long psychological diatribe on an elite um like young woman's point of view but i just felt like there's a there's no other film like it that goes through all of her analysis of what she's done and who she is she's acting up on camera she's doing all this stuff and i just thought it's such a gorgeous role for a young woman to play and there aren't enough of those and obviously it's called margaret and she and you know it's about her okay and then also uh, The Iron Lady, which I thought was a film that did very well. You know, uh, you trying... Like not really, no, but I, I like the idea of uh, humanising Maggie Thatcher. I don't think sympathising with is the right thing, but... Um, I think there was something to be said for, and I think it was a female-written, female-directed film as well, and obviously starring... Um, did she win an Oscar for it, Meryl Streep? Uh, I feel like she, she, did. Did. I she did, and she was very good. It is, it is Oscar yeah. bait. So it's not a film I liked, but it's a film I want to acknowledge mm. because of that. And then another film is Take This Waltz, which is a film by Sarah Polly, and is about is based on, I think, her real-life story, someone once told me... Um, to do with being in a relationship with one guy and then falling in love with someone else and the difference between the exciting new thing and the um uh and the old you know um, Seth Rogen plays her husband and it's a film about again a woman's dilemma very much through her perspective um and it's Michelle Williams who's the lead and Sarah Polly was an actress she was in Go and I always liked her and then she became a filmmaker and now she's this amazing filmmaker and that was one of the first things I'd seen and she's really good at just telling these indie tales about like young to middle-aged women and what their wants and desires are which there wasn't enough of that so anyway there were my other ones so 2011 was a good year for like women's films in my opinion but my winner um is we need to talk about kevin by mm. lynn ramsey yeah, yeah. and um i um i have a bit of a story about this so uh, the book by lionel shriver i really like her but she is an acerbic writer and a lot of people do not like her have you seen the film yes yeah okay so you know um the plot when i first tried to read the book which was 
10 years ago, I read 50 pages and then threw it across the room because I was like, I don't like this, I can't get into this. <laughs> and then I realised, then I picked it up again a couple of months later and I couldn't put it down. I remember being in the bath, actually, I was in a bath for like two hours <laughs> putting hot water in because I had to finish the book and I didn't want to get out. Um, and that was because I understood Shriver's turn of phrase. Yeah. And it's and then Ramsey has taken that book and created a film which I think is equal to the book, which I don't think many people ever do mm-hmm. normally with literary adaptations and it's such a um controversial subject parenting in itself but particularly parenting from a mother who doesn't like her child and her child is basically a sociopath um and i think that ramsey has never been afraid to make films about women uh, you know, having as many unkind thoughts as yeah, any male yeah. character. And Tilda Swinton is just phenomenal in it. And you have this real sympathy for this character. Like, I've always think, I think maybe because of Michael Clayton as well, Swinton has got a really good way of, like, sweating. She <laughs> sweats in Michael Clayton. She sweats in, um, we need to talk about Kevin. She's got this way of, like, physically showing the stress seeping from her pores. I just love it. And I just think that um the way the that film is so stressful all the way through um and it also brought us i forget what his name is is it ezra the lead he's ezra miller i want to say it's ezra miller and he was absolutely amazing as the son with his he's because it's very just uh, well um uh, really descriptive descriptions of what he looks like and how he behaves in the book and it's exactly the same you can tell that ramsey really took from the book what to do which is like he has his clothes a little bit too tight and a little bit too short and yeah. it, it's like he's <laughs> using his wardrobe and his hair and his demeanor to like aggravate everybody mm. it's like he wants to be quiet but he wants to piss everyone off with his existence and like by the end of the film you've just watched like Swinton behave abominably really but also like exhibit characteristics that I think a lot of mothers are probably feeling about their children who aren't nearly as bad as her sociopathic son so I haven't even really talked about the plot for anyone who hasn't um, seen the film but yeah basically it's about a nice suburban family or seemingly on the surface and then it's an exploration between a mother and her teenage son who don't seem to get on and you find out during the film that they've never gotten on the, the, the little boy the boy is played by I think three different actors actually because he's like I think about four and about eight as well and they cast really well and it's it's kind of a nature nurture story on whether you're born bad or whether maybe a mother who may not have ever loved her son maybe turned her son bad mm-hmm. and what societal expectations are but it's very much this thriller and it kind of involves I don't, I, don't, I don't can't remember if this is spoilery or not but it kind of involves involves a big dramatic event um which you're then led to think about how how did this come about and whose fault is it um and yeah that's i think that's all i have to say about it it's just it's a it's such a good rendition of the book really like threatening thriller portraying a mother in a light that you don't often see yeah you got any thoughts on not particularly. No. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 it, 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 I saw it, and it, and it kind of. I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good film. Um, 
But it didn't really leave any lasting impression on me, if I'm being absolutely but, honest. But can you think of many other films that have a female protagonist like that, who's a mother who, other than, like, you know, a textbook horror film where they turn into a psycho killer? No. this isn't a horror, it's a thriller. Possibly not. Not, well, not, not that anything comes to mind. Mm. But, you know, it, it's still a good film. Mm. Just it, It's one of those films that... Uh, the subject no matter was never really going to resonate that high with me, I don't think. But you still enjoyed it nonetheless. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. So that's one up for feminism. Made <laughs> Nick enjoy a film. Oh. You were right. Humanity. It's time to give someone else a chance. And so, we are on to 2012. 2012. A film yes. that I hope is not your yes. favourite film yes. amazing, of 2012. Amazing film. Yeah, talking Michael about Bay, Bay earlier. Michael Bay based any, anybody. It was Roland Emmerich. Uh, <laughs> I have to say, I, I like too. 2012. That's a film that you can turn on on TV and just watch some crap. Yeah, I actually think Roland Emmerich, you could do that with his film. Anyway, well, yes. we, we digress. Yes, sorry. Um, <laughs> Right, 2012. I, I did have a damn good look through 2012. Oh. What, well, and you struggled? I did struggle. Oh. Um, and in the end, there was Making one, one film um, that I particularly liked um, that was... It wasn't massively critically acclaimed. Well, it was. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was. It was. But it didn't really win any awards. But people... It's one of these films that I think, as time goes on, people like it more. Can you guess what it is? Well, it's funny. For a second, I thought, oh, my God, we've chosen the same film. We no, we haven't, because my film, my hint, hint, my film won awards. Ah. So, and that's part of the reason why it's on my list. So, g- give me a clue again. So, um, well, it was nominated. It, I, I, I don't know if it may have been nominated for some awards here and there. I don't think it was mm-hmm. nominated for any Oscars or anything like that. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a film which will... Received, did receive some critical acclaim, but but not not at the not at the Oscar sort of uh, nomination level or anything like that, Golden Globe or anything like that. But I think, as I say, it's a film which has gotten slightly better with with age, and it is Cabin in the Woods. <laughs> it's directed by um, yes, the guy did uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, Royale. Yeah, and um, his name will come to me while yeah. we do this. We really should have had all this written down. I've got mine written down. Oh, I don't remember. Who It'll come it. to me. Yeah. Carry on. I think they've done two. Drew, films. is it Drew? Might be. In any event, uh, shall I give a quick, um, very brief uh, plot summary here? Or yes, please um, do. So, while, while I look it up. Yeah. So so. <laughs> Straightforward, really. Five college kids head off into head off to stay in a in a in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. Standard horror trope, um, but that's about where the, the similarity ends. As you quickly realise when you get there that the, the entire thing is something of a, an, a scientific experiment, as it were, whereby. Uh, they are being led into this into this cabinet, and they and they go through all the process. They meet the the, the crazy guy in the garage and all that sort of stuff, and mm-hmm. warns them away and blah blah. And eventually, it becomes clear that um, that the powers that be, a sort of an unknown force, control this entire area, and they're going to unleash some form of horror on them. It's up to them to pick what, what that horror is, which yeah. they do. Um, and they then sort of fight their way through it. And as it, and, and as the film unwinds. 
the, these five kids or the ones that survive eventually discover that the nature of this experiment and what they realise, in, in, in a nutshell, what they realise is that the entire fate of the world depended on them turning up and dying in a very specific way, in a very horror manner, in a very horror film fashion. Mm-hmm. And, and to that end, it sort of plays into the standard tropes that you get in horror films, the jock and the dr- guy with the drugs and the, and, the, and the cheerleader and so on and so forth. Furthermore, there are other experiments being conducted all around the world that, that sort of play into the various kind of horror tropes of those particular cultures. Like there's a Japanese one with a crazy Japanese girl with a long black hair, you know, a la the ring. There's something going on in Sweden, which I seem to mean a refer- reference to, like um, let the right one in or that sort of thing. I don't think you're making it clear enough that there's a real massive twist halfway through when you realise that this is all about like the Hunger it's... Games for the world. Well, the thing is, the thing is, it's not even it's not even clear. The, the, the existence of, of all these people on the outside that are running this show, this experiment, mm-hmm. that is revealed early doors. In the first ten minutes, no, you, you no, know what's going no, on. No, 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 they have... They, no, it's not until about halfway through because they have all the packing no, for is, the trip. It is, it is trust me, because, uh, uh, trust me. There's a, there's, a, there's a scene right at the very beginning where okay. a bird flies into a... Uh, a, oh. a so you know something's up. Yes, but we don't know what. You're but you quite know something, right. something is, is not yes. quite right about all of this. Yeah. And then, and then, it, and then it sort of well, flip, it flip flops to. Uh, I think it's, yeah. it's Brian Cranston, isn't it? And it flip flops to Brian Cranston, sort no. of hang, hanging is around it? in. Oh, uh, yes. Hanging around in some laboratory. Um, With um, uh, that guy who's in Get Out and mm. uh, The West Wing. Yeah. But it's got it's 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 just a very it, it, it helps when you watch. It has lots of famous people in it. You've well, it forgotten Chris, it has Chris Hemsworth with it, yes. And later, um, spoiler alert, Sigourney Weaver. I'm so. not actually sure how famous Chris Hemsworth was when he made that. He only made Thor at this point, two thousand twelve. Yeah, he had. Yes. Yeah, he, had. Um, he was the most famous, but I'd say he was towards the beginning of his career. Yeah, he was. Um, it, the other guy is a guy who was in Grey's Anatomy, and then the two girls. I don't remember either of them, which is insulting. Yeah. So. I apologise. Um, and the director, Sig- by the way, is Drew Goddard. So right. I was right, it was a Drew. As you say, Sigourney Weaver very sort of briefly sort of cameo at the end as a sort of... As yes, the, but don't reveal all the secrets. As, as the overlord of this oh. whole thing. Okay, um, you spoiled it. Um, however, I, I... So, so, what what's particularly sort of clever or good about this film? I think... Mm-hmm. I love these kind of films, these kind of postmodern takes on film, the, the films that sort of take a particular genre and say... Why do all films sort of end this way? Yes. And what it's just asking a very simple question, which is, why why does five kids why, why why is five kids going into a woods um, a, a standard horror plot line? It happens time and time again. What is it, and, and why is it certain people have to die? Why is it this guy has to die and this girl has to die? But what elevates this film is that it's not scary movie. No, it's it's highbrow pastiche. Yes, absolutely. It's taking the piss, but also within a oh, and here's another layer. Actually, you're all part of this world thing mm. there's still the horror element there's this comedy element but it's not even though it is I was going to say it's not comedy at the expense of the horror it kind of is but there's I don't know there's just a certain way uh, there's actually another film I think coming in your list if I if I think this film is going to be which is later on which is very much a film if if you've used if you've decided to pick this film which takes an industry and then pokes fun at it. Oh, okay. Is this possibly? We, we, we will see. <laughs> if not, I'll reveal what see. I thought it was. But um, uh, there's very much a. Uh, it's rye. That's yeah. my. That's my one word description. Yeah. 
it's it casts a wry eye over yeah. Yeah. horror movies. I mean, I think I think when you're watching it, it does help if you happen to know a thing or two about horror films. Um, if you if you know all about the history of horror films or you've seen enough of them, you're really going to appreciate it that much more because you because all of a sudden that the, the comedic effect of it sort of come come comes into its own. Mm. But I just it's one of these films that I think wins on concept more as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. As soon as I saw it, I thought. The sheer, the sheer idea of that, the sheer mm. concept of it, is enough. Is enough to make it a good film. Mm. Doesn't really matter about acting. Doesn't really matter about horror effects, script, anything else. The concept is, is, is makes it a good film. I think you've identified something that you like. You like concept. Yeah, possibly. That would, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that would, if it's a new, yeah. innovative, and yeah. well done yeah. concept. It, innovation's a funny one. I mean, yeah. how, how much you prize innovation in films or not? How, how much originality matters to you or not? I don't know. What do you? Oh, I think it matters quite a lot to me, but I think if it's the only thing that matters, you're going to be very disappointed. Because don't people say there's no such thing as original ideas? But actually, that is an original idea, I think. It's certainly something I hadn't thought of before, Mm. and I would say Nolan comes up with original ideas, or or he translates complex scientific ideas to something enjoyable and entertaining, and I'd say that... um, the same goes from Malik. He translates high spiritual concept to something pretty to look at. Yeah. <laughs> I've just denigrated Malik's. It, it, just, it, it just smacked of a bunch of people sat around mm. who loved horror films and asked themselves, why do they always go the same way? You know. Well, because did Scream become come before this yes okay so it's definitely you could argue that Scream paved the way it is an original concept but I'd say if there was no Scream I wonder if Drew Goddard could have made this film because you have that whole piss taking of what don't go out of the room don't yeah. have sex yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, uh, but Goddard's like no the whole thing is actually one yeah. one big well, ploy it, I mean, I, mean, for, you, you, I mean you mentioned sex there I mean, mm. it, 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 it's, a, it's a thing it's, a, it's a, an often cited point in in horror films yes. of this nature, having sex is a death sentence, pretty much. Whether, yes. whether you're male or female, particularly if you're female, it has mm-hmm. to be said. Um, but for the want of giving brand new content to mm-hmm. our listeners, we have two podcast episodes where we went through the back catalogue yeah. of history in series one. So probably shouldn't talk too much about that. I'll just say go and listen to those because yeah. we talk a lot about Final Girl, having sex, all the rules, yeah. um, men, women and chainsaws, all of that jazz. Yeah. So... Um, Yes, I agree with you. Definitely um, blows apart these ridiculous rules that have been set for the horror genre. Yeah, um, and and then just sets them up with a sort of a very very good finale. Well, I was going to ask you that. What? So, what do you think about the end of this film? Then much debated point. Um, yeah, which is to say that. I think all it's doing is is answering a question. Um, I, I get the feeling when they were when they were writing the script, whether the script writers they were, didn't write the end. What they were what, they kept asking them asking themselves the question. Well, this always seems to happen. Watch every horror film. This always seems to happen. What happens if it doesn't happen? And I think somebody probably jokingly said, "Oh, the world will end." Hmm. And, and that's in a nature what Cameron in the Woods says. It says, "Well, if you don't do all of this order, the world will end." And I quite like that. Can't really make Cabin in the Woods too. No, I'm not sure you'd want to. Or I, I bet they're trying. I, I bet they are. Right. Can I give you my critique? Yeah. 95% good film, 5% bad. And I mean the very, very 
end. I did not I like that so ending like just like that at the end. Just because I, I, I feel like it was actually a spurt because there is an amazing scene, which I think, again, I'm getting deja vu, which I must have mentioned on the horror podcast <laughs> episodes. The amazing scene, my favourite bit in the whole thing, blew my mind, was when all of those characters from horror movies yeah. that are trying to escape their cages and start attacking them. And I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. It's too much information. <laughs> like, it's the kind of thing you want to rewind again. Great, so, it? to be honest, for me, that was the high point. Yeah. Anything afterwards. Yeah. Not that I don't even know how that could possibly be, but that was more like an Avengers Endgame battle. It should have been a battle yeah. and then the end. But they went through all of that and then it obviously went to, like, mm. this semi-comedic... I do agree that it was a different way to end it. Yeah. But I felt, you know, like the whole up and down and your heart rate, I just felt like it spurted out yeah. at the end. <laughs> a little bit spattered out, I think is what I'm trying to say. Spattered out, spattered out. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Boy, I know, a good film. Yeah, I thought so. It only just passes the Bechdel test. Oh, let's look at the theme developing here. Ha, ha, ha. Well, I, they... Wait, so I told you so. Yes, I will. I told you so. Yeah. Well, there was... There's a, there's, there's a conversation at the start about hair colour and stuff between the two girls right at the very beginning yeah, of the film. yeah. <laughs> pointless and then there's probably I think there's a couple of conversations where there's various directors and um, you know parts uh, of the all the different world things where they talk to each other saying yeah, you know like yeah. I think it's Sigourney talking to the Japanese woman yeah. who's doing the whole um uh, battle royale thing with the yeah. teenage girls and I think she's saying oh they're all dying or it's not working or something but that's a bit pathetic however I kind of feel like Cabin in the Woods, I give it a bit of a let off because, yeah. for one thing, there are two guys. Oh, don't you know there are three guys? Three, three guys, guys three and girls. two girls, but still, that's better than most. Well, and, 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 I would, and I would argue that is a. And the girl makes it the standard. furthest. Well, I would also say that that, that, is, <laughs> the a dark standard, that is a standard male to female ratio in, in any five people going to a woods in a horror film. It should be it? three girls, shouldn't it? Oh, yeah, well. How about like Scooby Doo? I think you'll find in Scooby Doo it's three girls, isn't it? No, it's not. It's, it's two, two girls and Scooby. It's a boy. Forget I said that. It's two girls. That, that's too oh, yeah, right. Okay, cutting that out as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. I want to make something clear. We're spending billions of dollars. We're still no closer to defeating our enemy. Twenty detainees recognize that photo. No birth certificate. No cell phone. You guys are ghosts. I also had trouble with this year funnily enough I had only two more films on the list um, I can't even remember what the Oscar nominations were that year but I'll tell you the things I said um, one of these films I haven't even seen but I feel like it's something I wanted to see but I was so worried about how uncomfortable it would make me feel I didn't watch it and I think in itself it deserves to be mentioned then which is a film called Compliance I don't know if you've ever heard no, of it it's an indie American movie based on a real story and it's about these people who work in a store I can't even remember what it is but it's like mm. a store in a strip mall and somewhere in middle America yeah. and it's about a voice on a phone who calls them pretending to be from head office or something or even if you ever actually find Find out. I should maybe watch this film before I talk about it, but basically saying, do this, do that. And it's this idea about if someone in authority in your workplace tells you to do something, will you do it? And it involves a man talking to a woman it's and a she mil- ends up stripping. Basically. But, yeah, sort of, but as into your own 
detriment. There's like a gender issue here right. about a man telling a woman to take her clothes off kind of thing. Yeah. But it's it's far more sophisticated than that and was based on a real story. Okay. And where it was quite hard to find someone guilty of something because of the nature of the relationship. And then the other one I wanted to talk about, and again, like I think it was parts were directed by a guy. The other one I wanted to talk about was a more, just because... Um, I just thought it was a beautiful exploration of older yeah. love and had a kind of very, which is a Michelle Annika film um, about an old couple who are quite close to death and oh, the, the ish. They basically have become so codependent, they just stand, stay in their flat together and live their own peaceful life. That's yeah. how I kind of understood it. Yes. But then there are all these motifs for passing and what they're going to do. And, and it's just this very emotional relationship between a man and a woman. Again, it doesn't really fit my criteria but I thought it was a, a beautiful portrayal of a relationship so there you go so that's it which is pathetic there's probably plenty of other films mm. and I've suffered a lot here in terms of foreign film as well I have seen quite a few but I didn't actually consider a lot of them for this I thought more about English language so I just want to kind of point that yeah. out that maybe that's something I need to work on for looking at for the decade um and so the film I've chosen, again, this is a film that when I watched it, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to, but it's not that enjoyable and it will never be one of my top films and yet it's made the top of this list. But I think you'll know when I say why and it's Zero Dark Thirty. But there used to be a world, I would say, 80s to 90s, where unless you were like really in deep in the film community you didn't think about the gender of your director and I think I'm maybe just talking about myself um I certainly thought almost every director was a man and a vast majority were but mm. some brilliant films like Fast Times of Richmond High, Clueless, Point Break, Near Dark all directed by women didn't really know mm. like you know Nancy Myers film yes I'll know it's directed by hers you could say it's got like you know a romance or a chick flick or something bent but a lot of these films definitely had a lot more going for them and I never thought about it so this is almost like an award by me to Catherine Bigelow for like it's a shame really you had to make this really hyper masculine film to be taken seriously and also it's particularly amusing that the film has now been chastised and been told that actually a lot of the things that it's reported in it didn't really happen the way they were um but i think bigelow has survived all of the, but um this is a film basically about the use of torture by american governments in the bid to find bin laden am i right exactly yes. but i want to make sure i get the yes. politics and the war history correct and um it's about things like extraordinary rendition and a lot of enhanced uh, interrogation tactics and what was done and what wasn't done and it's definitely got a I, I, I need a word that's slightly less forceful than jingoistic, but there's a very pro-American, I would say, stance to it, even though I think Bigelow tries very hard to be as objective well, as I, possible. I, I think, I think it, it, it's summed up by... I mean, it, it, in, its, it, in the final analysis, I think what 
sort of Bigelow draws from it is the end justifies the means. Yeah. And I'm not sure everyone would necessarily agree with that, but um, that, that's the conclusion I think she draws. And I think that also, so we had Jessica Chastain in Tree of Life, and it doesn't surprise me that she'll be a thread through this um, discussion between us because I think Chastain has done an awful lot to try and push forward um, female empowerment in the film industry. Yeah. She's done a lot of stuff to do with Me Too. She's taken on a lot of roles. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> She's done a lot of stuff about equal pay, depending on the uh, race of women and also gender, uh, female versus male uh, actors. And um, I think that in Tree of Life, she's there and she's ethereal and she's beautiful. And in this, it's a completely different role where she's undeniably feminine and beautiful and that's why it works. But she's also having to make some very hard decisions. And it's quite funny as well because I find Chastain, like I love watching her on screen, but she has quite a high-pitched voice. (laughs) And like in itself, you could say that my statement is sexist by even pointing it out. But what I'm saying is it's not often that a woman is able to like make serious points in a film with a breathy high-pitched voice you 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 come across as like i don't know some kind of marilyn monroe person and chastain seems to like uh, straddle this line where she can be incredibly feminine but also um be taken seriously and i think that's because of bigelow putting her in that film i don't think she's the natural first choice i think there are stronger harder looking women who you might put i'm I'm talking obviously here about gender stereotyping 101 but i'm saying that to me she was wearing these like flak jackets and jeans and what have you she's always out in the field she's presenting these things she's working really hard she gets stressed out in it and i think that um using her as an actress which is obviously very good but also using her was a quite nice juxtaposition between all the other people in the film who are men I haven't looked up actually I've I've had a go at you but I haven't looked up any of my films for Beckdale Test Passing and I'm not sure all of them do and I'm not sure Zero Dot Thirty does you know Bigelow has been has been accused of going too into like what's stereotypically male filmmaking well I I would sort of argue that that Okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm sort of judging this without really any evidence. So I do apologise if this isn't the case, but I just get the impression that she's overcompensating. Um, as in, as for in, what reason? As in, as in, like, if I'm, if I'm a female director, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, accused of making films that just appeal to, to women. So I'm going to go the other way and really make them sort of overtly male and films mm. like Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty and Point Break and Mere Dark to a certain extent it's a, it's a masculine they're quite, they're vampire quite male audience yeah. films aren't they really but uh, yeah so yeah but maybe that's what she's into Lynn Ramsey as well you and could she, argue some be. of her films are like hey, that too whatever she wants hey, yeah. But, uh, you know. yeah um to say like I want to disagree with you <laughs> because I feel bad but I don't I think uh, it took me years to see mm. Zero Dark Thirty I didn't see it in that year because I thought this doesn't no, appeal to me um, and I think it's I think it is a good film maybe we're brothers we're not we're not brothers we're not brothers how do you know and now for your 2013 choice. 2013. So there were... OK, so there was two or three possibilities. Um, uh, 
I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a couple. Well, I'll, I'll, there's a couple of sort of runners up, which I'll, I'll mention yes, right now. Yes, go for it. Um, the first one is The Wolf of Wall Street, which which I quite like. I actually think it's one of Martin Scorsese's better films that he's done since Goodfellas. Um, maybe, I maybe, can't think of a worse film for this podcast, well, but do I go know, on. I know, I know. Well, he, he's not noted for it, is it? But it is a very good film, I think, Wolf of Wall Street. But um, Yes. Um, another one um, which I particularly like, just simply because it is an exercise in how to act without actually ever talking throughout the entire film, and that's um, All Is Lost. Um, this is another runner-up. Uh, yes, it's another yes. runner-up, yeah. Um, Robert Redford, um, Getting Lost at Sea. I don't think he utters two words in that entire He does. Film. He says, fuck, that's says, one of fuck. them. I remember that. Yeah. One of the words yeah. says, um, I, but I like that. I think if you can captivate an audience without any dialogue, there's something in there. Beautiful film. Yeah. Uh, isn't going to pass any kind of test, is it? Do <laughs> anybody? And it's just him. The one man test, yeah. the castaway test. Yes, but a, a lovely film. I really enjoyed yeah, that. I really film. did enjoy really that. Yeah. yeah, and I think Robert Redford is so good in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know he's not young. No, so, no, it did really well. Yeah. Um, the, but, the physical role is what I meant. But there has to be a winner, uh, and yes. there's only one film. Um, dun, dun, dun. And it is Denis Villeneuve's Enemy. Hey. Yeah. I still think it's his best film, by the way. And probably one of his lesser seen mm. films. Yeah. So it's good to champion this. Yeah, yeah. Hey. Um, of course, the director who of Arrival and uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and well, you know both of which are good films in their own right. Sicario, uh, Sicario Prisoners. Well. Prisoners, Prisoners. I think the same year as this, so it actually did pretty well mm. this, this year. Do you um, like Jake Gyllenhaal this year? Uh, Forthcoming director yeah. of June. Yeah, yeah, just um, putting it out there. But this, I think, in my view, is his best film. I still think it's his best film. So. I, I, it's Jake Gyllenhaal playing effectively a doppelganger of him. It, it, it's it's to describe this film is to somewhat spoil it, but at the same point, it's a film where you take your own analysis. Yes. So again, I'm, which is I, that one of the reasons I would unlock. Yeah. yeah. So I will say this is your understanding that you're going yeah, to describe absolutely. the plot. Don't uh, really absolutely. know if that's ever been objective. Absolutely. <laughs> so it, but it, so it's do go on. It's around Jake Gyllenhaal, who works as a professor at a local university. Um, one in an unnamed city, which I think might be Montreal. Yeah, we'll come to that in a minute, yeah. actually. Um, um, and he one day discovers a picture in a magazine, I think it is, of somebody that looks exactly like him. He rents a video and yeah. it's in a film. Yeah, and, and he can't believe it. I mean, it's exactly the same person. He's playing a bellboy. I so can't believe like, he so don't remember this. So he tracks down the, the person. Yeah. And... Uh, they have. They look exactly the same as him, and uh, slightly different hair. But they're they're leading a different life. They they're, both have they're, beards. They're, they're an actor. They are uh, so. They're and, a more and, confident person. Yeah, and, and, and he's he's not yeah. really. He, he, he's in some ways the the doppelganger, the other person, the other Jake Gyllenhaal is, is leading exactly the same. Is that the life he might have wanted? Perhaps, maybe. It depends <laughs> depending on who you really believe. Um, and then they're in. They're in. You go into this this quite confusing bit of bit of plot where there he. So both Jake Gyllenhaal, both Jake Gyllenhaal's have um, girlfriends that they're that they're not really getting along with, and it's sort of implied that they're, mm-hmm. each of the two girlfriends are with the wrong sort of Jake Gyllenhaal in, in some respects. Yes, I can tell you about them. Actually, one's mm. a wife because mm. remember there's a wedding ring. Yeah. Bit. One of them is played by Sarah Gaydon, and one of them is played by Melanie Laurent. Yeah. They're both absolutely stunning. Blonde 
blondes yeah. and also excellent actresses. Yeah. So he does a little bit of stalking, trying to figure it out. Because one of them, yeah, the, the original Gyllenhaal might actually want to get to... Is that right? Or is it the well, second one? One of them wants to get together. What, well, there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. There's, there's well, she's stop, using this life to shag someone else. There's an that Gyllenhaal <laughs> wants to be Gyllenhaal 2. There's an that Gyllenhaal 2 wants to shag Gyllenhaal 1's Once, wife. Yes. All kinds of things get going on with this. Yes. Meanwhile, two other things are happening overarching to this, which is... It is clearly set in some form of dystopian future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually just shot. Uh, we, we thought it was Toronto, didn't we? Or, or maybe Montreal. It's somewhere in Canada anyway, we know that. Um, it's a ca- Canadian city, yeah, so, which is where Werner's from. Which, um, with a lot of um, sort of brutalist architecture, which is really designed to look like some sort of weird, dystopic dictatorship yes. of a future. It's very yellow. Yeah. And the second thing is um, the, the repeated appearances. <gasps> Are we ready for this? Yeah. So this is the big motif from yeah. Enemy. The, the big repeated um, appearances of yeah. spiders in one form or another. This is not a film for people with arachnophobia. No, not at all. Not at all. And I don't think we need to say much more about the plot. It plays out. Um... um Eventually, they they do sort of swap on on one of them actually gets killed and the other one sort of swaps into that. And there was a very famous final scene, which I won't tell you what it is, but no. except to say you do not see it coming. But yes. it's become very very famous. Yes. Final scene. Um, it will make you jump. If I had to characterise this film, in a word, not I hard. would say ambiguous from start to finish. Ambiguous. You you take from this whatever you want. I, I really believe that. Um, I also believe it's a film that it will never end if you're not careful. Yeah. If you start if you start this film straight after it ends, mm. it can keep going. Yeah. Because it theoretically starts in the middle of yeah the encounters between yeah. the two characters. It's also right in the middle of Jake Gyllenhaal's golden indie period as well when he was doing yeah, like End of Watch and, and Nightcrawler and it's before like Nightcrawler because yeah. he's much tubby yeah. he's not tubby but Nightcrawler is so sinewy yeah. it's um, yeah he's getting to work on some really interesting yeah. pieces and the stuff he did with Villeneuve is really yeah, he's, good he's really picking the good roles yeah, there, yeah. I, I just think this is one of his best performances mm. and I think this is Villeneuve's best film and it is it, 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 it's I, I think it very much appeals to my sensibilities, this film, because you can watch it and, and, and it can mean nothing to you, it can mean something to you. It, 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 there's just so many... You come out with far more questions mm. than you have answers. You could probably watch it again after, the, after, the fir- after your first watching just because you feel like you've missed a ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I love that about a film. What would you call its genre? I think... It's probably sci-fi. It probably is, but but what? But it's not. It, but what makes it sci-fi? Dystopic. What, what, what no, makes it's it sci-fi? Dystopia. The, the year is mm. never mentioned. We don't yeah. know what year it's set in. Yeah. You assume it is due to the the, the various shots of brutalist architecture mm-hmm. that you see, and, and there's some sort of implication of of a, of a science fiction element to it. But would you really characterise it as sci-fi? I don't know. Maybe, no. but I'm not sure. I don't know. And I would also say that um, I did a lot of reading around the film and there's some really interesting um articles of a philosophical nature that most people don't know they're stuck in a society where they have no choice and they don't know they're in a dystopia and that's why i think enemy there's like a thread running through it going we're actually all stuck in our own lives i've made it sound like super depressing (laughs) 
But I don't think it is. I've, maybe I find it threatening. It's it's definitely a thriller as well. There's a sense of oppression all the way through. And it's because of this grey architecture that they keep shooting. It's just like it would be like if you said it in Britain. If you just said it in every tower, every shot was Trellick Tower. You'd just be like, oh, attack yeah. the spider block. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, um, I think it's an amazing film. It's it one of my favourite films. I do as well. Fantastic. Film. Yeah. I think you find something new when you look at it again and that you should... Uh, what I like about this film is you should look in the background because yeah. you might see something mm. else. And there's a whole lot of, like, beautiful cinematography of, like, power lines yeah. and th- weird things like that. And, um... Yeah. yeah, and I don't know how big the budget was because it doesn't. It, it feels it's beautiful to watch, and yet, Probably not like you much. said, it's a couple of brutalist buildings, a Probably hotel. Yeah, uh, there's a bit few spidery special effects here and there. Yeah, um, but uh, for the most part. But not, otherwise, not really. it's basically a tour de force for Jake Gyllenhaal. Really. Yeah. Yeah, um, as I said, this, this, Basically about this, is, him. this is him in his golden indie yeah. era when he was doing just like indie film yeah. for indie film. But well, he, he was he very much the, the he, still, he still does, I suppose, but I mean, but I, well, I, think, I think he had far a... far from home, But I think he had a stream, so a stream of them, like at about yeah. six, seven in a row that were just sort of very, very good. I'm not even going to look if it passes the Bechdel test because... I'm confident it doesn't yeah. because he has one wife and one girlfriend or, yeah. you know, the two, who can yeah. never talk to each other. Actually, yeah. maybe they have a phone call. One of them might call the other, if I remember rightly, accidentally. Maybe they don't speak on the phone. But either way, they probably talk about Jake, which yeah. means it's fucked that test yeah. of the Bechdel. And then also Isabella Rossellini's in it, which you probably mentioned. Yes, I remember. As the mother of mother. one, yeah. both, what have you. There's a weird sex club bit. But basically, this film isn't really about women. Yeah. Except for maybe about men being sick and tired of who they're in a relationship it's with. It's like David Lynch, isn't it? Isn't yes, I would say he is the natural successor to Lynch, but he's not quite as... Weird. Not, yeah. I was going to say odd, but I think weird's a better word. Not quite as uncomfortably weird. Well, also, he doesn't quite throw the baby out with the bathwater three quarters of the way through the film, the way David Lynch tends yes. to do with his films. Yeah, you're right. Film is ambiguous. Um, Lynch sometimes doesn't make any yeah. sense. Not yeah. that I don't love him, I do, but it doesn't make any sense. Enemy? Great film. Oh, yeah, that was classy. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Leopard and zebra? What? Yeah, you can't have leopard and zebra. You gotta choose one. I'm now at uh, 2014. No, I'm not. I'm at 2013. Um, So I'll give you my runners up. Um, 12 Years a Slave because of uh, Lupita Nyong'o, basically. Kind of brought her to attention. Amazing performance. Okay, yeah. Um, uh, you know, a, a woman's slave story. I know it's not just about him, but she was very much like yeah. what came out of the film. I seem to like Steve McQueen again, but I just think he's a very humanistic film director. Yeah. Um, Gravity, really great one, the starring role from yeah, yeah. Sandra Bullock. Um, and it kind of heralds this new era of female I know it's not new because we have alien and all those kind of things but there's a more emotional female fronted astronaut type films coming in now and I think Gravity was one of those where you know it was really centred on Bullock's character and her the fact that space seems to be one of the methods that directors use to express 
the loneliness and isolation of being a human being yeah. by taking us hundreds of thousands of miles away it makes us realize that we can be close or far away from other humans no matter how mm. physically far away and i think gravity with her whole losing a child plot element and did she die and all of these things i think was just a really beautiful film quite is quite important it's a to me elegant idea isn't it gravity you know which is just like it, yeah. th- th- there's not really a, a, a proper plot to it. Well, there is, of course, there is. Don't yeah. get me wrong, there is. But it's very it, simple's good. Though. Simple can work. It's very also well. a film that I think took five years to make and is so full of CGI, yeah. and you don't realise, which is kind of good CGI, except for the bits like maybe where she's spinning around, you know, around the satellite or whatever yeah. it is. But um, I remember I saw it twice at the cinema, and people were saying they felt sick. I didn't really feel sick, but I understand yeah. that whole spinning thing is is that, yeah. Yeah, yeah a bit. Uh, a bit much um, and then um, Her which I think mm. is a really good film about again <laughs> not really necessarily pushing forward a female um, agenda as such but you have the character played by Amy Adams and then you have obviously the character played, played by Scarlett Johansson and it kind of like you know the idea of associating AI with feminine or masculine characteristics i don't know i just thought it was a really beautiful film it's probably one of my favorite films of that year um and then lastly uh before midnight the before trilogy um co-written by judy delpy you know she came up with the whole idea with link later and hawk and i really like some people say they don't like this film because it's a bit too truthful the whole arguing couple eight and nine years together yeah. kids this is this this is that but i actually find it like i'm really into naturalism and i just love the part where they're just walking through the town together just talking about things like very, like it seems to me that link later wants all these films to be moving and it's about moving forward and i kind of like that in the in the physical moving of the characters and then you get this like audacious horrible argument between them yeah. where they both say awful things but it's so real yeah. to me I like a, a relationship between pe- people who love each other but are in the long long term part of their relationship are um so I just love that and I think it has a cute ending as well and kind of lets things carry on but in my film that I want to say is I don't whether this is a bit of a controversial choice because this filmmaker has had a leg up in the industry but I do believe she's really really good at what she does and she has created almost her own subgenre and I only watched this film recently and I was taken aback by how good it was because I thought it would be really vacuous yeah. I'm wondering if you can guess what it is I thought it would be really vacuous and there is an element of that but there's an intellect vein I think through it about modern fame and society do you know no. what this film is this is The Bling Ring by Sofia Coppola oh, okay. so um, this is a film about a famous, have you seen the film? no, no, okay so famous event that happened or series of events that happened in Hollywood a few years ago where a group of kind of social media 
uh, obsessed teens started to kind of befriend or follow or obsess about this kind of LA set of young men and women. So you're kind of Paris Hilton's, Lindsay Lohan's, all of yeah, those kind of people. Yeah. When that was coming up, when a new wave of social star, which was kind of merging the Instagram world with the celebrity world. And these, uh, these uh, girls and guys, mostly girls, um, all kind of live kind of normal lives in small houses and perfectly fine you know the parents are just like I don't know nurses or or something like that but these kids are dressing amazingly obsessed with makeup wear tiny little skirts um are kind of like you know the the bells of their university and basically they start to get more and more power by virtue of associating with um these celebs or pretending to and then this turns into they want to go into their houses and try and live like them and then it turns into they've managed to break into their houses now they want to steal their stuff and it became this huge thing called the bling ring where basically these people would film videos of themselves in the closets wearing all the clothes stealing it and then there's a whole thing about the whole do they go to prison how were they forced into it to what extent is celebrity and social media part of the problem that encouraged this um and it's got emma watson in it and I think she's very good I think it's one of her best performances because people say oh she's not that good and I think she's um, an actress that just needs the right director and I think Coppola saw something and she kind of like gets in my opinion not being an LA native she gets this kind of like "Mm, Beverly Hills accent (laughs) like perfectly and this whole gang of these people who like they're not they're not the smartest but they've kind of got a code of ethics and they aren't trying to do any harm, mm. and yet it shows this escalation between teenage girls that kind of... There's a specific thing which I don't think you get in any other group where you egg each other on and you're so worried about what people think about you that you kind of get forced into doing things you wouldn't normally do. And it's like, was there one main antagonist, one of the girls that wrote them all in, there's a couple that they're fighting for attention? And and it's also full of this amazing cinematography. There's a really good scene, which I talk about a lot, where... The camera is set in the Hollywood Hills, hills behind, halfway up a hill, and there's this beautiful mansion which is glass everywhere. And you watch from a distance. It's very Kubrickian, actually. You are, they are far in the in the distance, and you are watching these people go through this house, turning lights on, taking stuff. And you're this voyeur. Coppola makes the film, makes you part of the experience because it's like, but you're watching a film about this. Actually, the viewer is part of this process, this entertainment for money, for social status. And I think that it's a far more clever film than it first looks because it just looks like an entertaining expose about some silly teens and I think it's just beautiful direction with, with a message told only by a director who probably understands growing up in Hollywood yeah. and being like this so yes there is the whole thing about does she get a leg up because of her famous father, Pro- probably she does but I think Coppola has yeah, like I said at the beginning of this section, she's created a subgenre of her own films. She's definitely uh, created a niche. Yeah. Um, I think there's her a... films aren't exactly like her dad's, aren't either. No. No, she's almost like not as adventurous. She takes smaller stories, maybe not Marie Antoinette, but um, she takes these smaller personal stories. They are in a rarefied air. You know, she doesn't really write about poor people. Um... 
And she no. doesn't really write about anyone who's not white. Oh, sorry, I'll direct any, um, yeah, anyone I think, who's I, I, not white. I, but you can, only, you can only do what you can do. I mean, you, you have, if you've got the knowledge of that particular world... Then, then I'm not sure. I think you can cast more widely. It's slightly different when you're, you're basing people on real-life people. And there was, there was a Latino um, aspect to the bling ring. There was some, yeah. They were from different neighbourhoods. But it was at least not totally like whatever, yeah. white, Caucasian, whatever you want to say. But... Um, but I do think there's a common humanity in her stories. And I do think the bling ring, yeah, it, it's, I think we've talked about this before and I don't know if there's a word for it. Uh, there is a word where, where the film is the thing, it, it is an example of the thing in which it is talking about. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it's yeah, like the yeah. whole style of the film. And I think that Coppola has nailed that with the bling ring. She's like, I'm going to make you a bling film. And you're going to watch it and consume it. And we're all part of this, <laughs> like, chain of capitalism. And I think that it didn't get enough credit for all of that. Because mm. she's had, you know, objectively better films. Like, the problem is, because Lost in Translation was so good, that everything else afterwards, I think, is always compared to that. Yeah. Um, but I, I really like this film. Yeah, okay. The Bling Ring. The Bling Ring. Definitely passes the Bechdel test, mostly because it's girls talking about shoes and jackets and dogs. <laughs> Is that good? Is that a good thing? I don't know if it's a good thing, but it definitely <laughs> passes. Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? Yes. 24. So what's your film of 2014? Oh, what's your runners-up? Uh, runners-up. Um... I, this is probably the single year that I had the biggest problem with, um, mainly because I, I just struggled to find anything that I thought was truly outstanding. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're outstanding films, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's whether or not I, I, partic- I particularly like them. Um, but I've got to, you know, there are a few sort of honourable mentions here. Mm-hmm. And, and they are, well, firstly, um, I've, 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 got to, I've got to give mention to this film. Um, it's not a film I massively love. <laughs> But I've got to mention it because because it is highly regarded, and and I think and I think. Well, hang on a minute. This is supposed to be your best yeah, film. I, I didn't hate this film. Don't get me wrong. I I, I quite enjoyed it. I just don't. And, and, well, the film's Boyhood. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. I was like, oh. Yeah. So what uh, you're saying is you want to mention the concept. I think you have to. Okay. I think you have to. I think you have Mr. to. Mr. Concept. Yeah, yes. Um, which. You you decide whether or not you give more points to that or not. I guess I don't know. But anyway. Apart from that, um, Grand Budapest Hotel was a sort of runner-up as well. Really like, I, mean, I like the film. I like Wes Anderson films in general, but yeah. I think this is one of his best actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again um, in the Jake Gyllenhaal sort of canon. Um, Nightcrawler. Uh, yeah. Really good film. Really good film. Nightcrawler. Um, but not your number one. <clears throat> not a number one. Because you don't want to showcase your love of Jake Gyllenhaal. No, not too. Too much not to too the much. world. I don't want everyone to think I'm that in love. With yeah, Jake even though you um, are. No, I, I, in the end, opted for one film which I thought was a notch better than those, which was um, Whiplash. Ah. Um, again, I, 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 I think this is a very, very simple concept. But just executed very, very effectively. Um, so it's it's essentially just about a a, a budding young drummer who's at sort of um, drummer school or or you know whatever it happens to be, um, who um, gets 
drilled and taught by an ex- by a, a, a sort of cantankerous sort of teacher who. Um, I think cantankerous. I don't uh, think that's right. I think like aggressive. Yeah, he's, he's cantankerous a, would suggest he's an old man who's like, rah, 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 but it's like I'm going to hit you. It's nasty. It's yeah. Nasty. Every step. Every step. Uh, here's a, the, the, the teacher's argument being that I am turning you into a great drummer. This 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 way of teaching will turn <laughs> you into a great drummer. Now, um, the, the the young the young drummer boy, of course, he he goes along with it. But he himself is a bit of a nasty piece of work, and and, um, he, and he's a bit of aggressive. And in many ways, that they're like young and old versions of each other. So, so what you end up with is is a situation where they end up sort of hating each other. But it kind of does make him into a good drummer. But it still doesn't change the fact that they, they end up sort of hating each other mm. as it unfolds. And I think we should say here, directed by Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle, yeah. And that um, old man is J.K. Simmons and that young man yeah. is Miles Teller. Yeah. Um, Damien, this, is this Damien Chazelle's first film? Might yes. Um, um, and if you're interested to know as well, this is for all young uh, or budding, old, whatever, budding yeah. filmmakers out there. He actually made this as a short Mm. and used it as proof of concept to turn it into a film and he's now an Oscar winner so you can do this make your short of course he's since gone done La La Land and um, First First Man. Man And I would still say Whiplash is, better, is, is his best film. So even now, I mean, he's still very early in his career. and He's got a lot of time, but um, it, it's just—it's a very, very simple concept, simple story, but executed very, very effectively. It's very powerful. Yeah, I actually find it difficult to watch I wouldn't want to watch mm. it again yeah it, it, it's, but then that's like 12 Years a Slave and that's like Shane there are lots of films out there that are good but you don't want to go through well, it again you do go through on an emotional roller coaster. there's a lot yeah. of pain a lot of hurt and I'm not talking about just emotional yeah, physical. pain physical pain yeah. here, when he, particularly when he's having to sort of just, you know, sweat the sweat the drums, as it were. Mm. Um, and I think drumming kind of yeah. is the is the best musical instrument yeah. to kind of lend itself it to is. this it is. stress. I, well, I also think that as a, as, a, as an audience, as a as a viewer, I, I mean, I dare say, if you if you if you were an experienced drummer, you would know the difference. But to the average viewer, the difference between good drumming and bad drumming mm. is just not apparent. We wouldn't know the difference. Mm-hmm. So exactly, as what, long as someone can keep so exactly what they're arguing about isn't really crystal yeah. clear to, to, to the vast majority of the audience. But is that maybe part of the point of the film? Yeah, I think it he, is. He wants to dominate. Is. I think it is the and younger it, character. Yeah, and the younger character is basically saying, "Look, my way of doing it is 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 the better way. I'll, I'll, I'll bow down to you. and I'll do what you're telling me." But it, it is nasty. It's about two nasty people getting getting each other over over a single instrument, and that's all really it boils down to. But I love it. I, I love the simplicity of it more than anything. And you're okay with the anger? Uh, yeah, I think it goes yeah. right. As you said, drums are the ideal yeah. instrument for it. It goes. It, it's it's sort of perfectly executed version of of, of just angry emotion in music. And it also it also goes on about this. It's this thing that you hear quite a lot in art. This sort of unmentioned concept of like you've either got it or you haven't. Mm-hmm. You know, you're born with it. You either got it, and you know. I think for most people that is just bull- bullshit. You have to have something. You have to have something, but whether or not you can, but can you can practice. learn it in inverted commas? Yeah. That, that, it's all slightly pretentious nonsense, of course. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just I. I, I it is a very, very well-executed um, idea, more than anything. And very, very simple. I can... Uh, Whiplash is a film... By the way, best.
best title of a film ever, probably. <laughs> um, Whiplash is a film for me where I can see why it's yeah. so highly regarded. Um, but I, I was going to say I have to see people on screen that I like. That's not true. If if they're horrible, they have to be my brand of horrible, mm. and neither of those two are my brand of horrible. I don't actually think Miles Taylor's ca- character is as bad. I think that it, it, there is a there's kind of a pay it forward aspect to it, which is yeah, Simmons yeah. has a go at him. He treats his mum bad. He treats his girlfriend bad. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a car crash. Um, so I kind of see that. I can see that it's explaining how your actions affect other people. People. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's good, but at the same time, I I don't know. I just um, there's a part of me that's like fucking chill out. None of this is that important. There's a part, there's a part of me that thinks yeah. I could never do that. I'm, I'm I'm just I don't feel strongly enough about any mm. one thing to actually dedicate and, and and sweat blood for it in the way that they seem to do. Yeah. However, there are some brilliant drumming scenes. Yeah. It looks crisp. Yeah. It's got the kind of sweat coming off the yeah. hi hat and all of that. And I think that and the way that the sound is matched to mm. the tension. And coming to a crescendo, I think, is um, a really yeah. amazing feat. So for yeah. that, I recognise um, how good it is. Yeah. I'd never pick it as my favourite film, and it's not even my favourite Chazelle film. So <laughs> my favourite Chazelle film is First Man, and I'm probably the only person on the planet that feels that way. Long may he make films. He's only young. He is only young. So yeah. We've done three we films, what? Uh, Whiplash, La La Land, First Man. Pretty good first three films. So, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what he's doing next, actually. Mm. Um, Bechtel test failing. Good for drumming? Probably fail. I mean, I, I can't imagine Absolutely. for a minute that it would succeed. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it is good for drumming. I don't know if it's good for anything. other than It's good if you were thinking than, about being a professional you, drummer if, and if now you're not. watching angry people, <laughs> the hateful, annoying people, then it is the film yeah. for you. Um, but it, there's not really a protagonist I don't believe in that film and anyone you really identify with necessarily well, no, I think protagonist just means the main person which well, is Miles Teller's character it is but I'm not sure you, you mean I'm, a hero I'm not sure you really identify with yeah. him um, he's not really a hero yeah mm. um, yeah all in all mm. I've got work plush talking about it yeah Mr. President, in the South, there have been thousands of racially motivated murders. We need your help. Dr. King, this thing's just going to have to wait. It cannot wait. You've got one big issue, i got a hundred. Okay, so, for mine, where are we? 2014. Yeah. You have forgotten the very best film that was made in 2014. Which is? And we made a whole episode of this podcast about Which it. Which is? What, what film did we make an episode oh, of? I don't remember. Edge of Tomorrow. So that is technically my favourite film of the year. Film? Well, it's my best film. Yeah, it's not your best film anyway, but you didn't even give it a, like, no, a noble mention. It's okay, but I don't give it yeah. a noble. So for me, I didn't really do much digging once I found these two films. So Edge of Tomorrow, I was like, well, we've got a whole podcast episode on that. Everyone knows how much I love that yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. think it's amazing. think Emily Blunt's amazing. Yeah. The end. Um... So this film, I'm actually going to read the plot out because I'm actually quite worried about not doing it justice. Um, My film is Selma by Ava DuVernay, which I know is a film that you think is quite average. Yeah? I think that would be a fair summary. (laughs) Yeah. 
1964, Martin Luther King Jr. at the Southern Christian Leadership Conference accepts his Nobel Peace Prize. Four black girls walking downstairs in the Birmingham, Alabama, 16th Street Baptist Church are killed by a bomb set by the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Annie Lee Cooper attempts to register to vote in Selma, Alabama, but is prevented by the white registrar. Goes on and on and on and then talks about a famous walk that uh, Martin Luther King did, which was a march of peace from Selma to Montgomery. Um, and kind of a film that personifies Martin Luther King's um, worldview mm. on race relations yeah. and the idea of a peaceful protest. And the reason why I have chosen this film is because, um, primarily for Ava DuVernay, because it, it's it's if we thought it was hard for Catherine Bigelow um, to get her Oscar and do all of her work, then it's even harder for a woman of colour to... Um, become a successful director and have her films nominated yeah, yeah, yeah. and she hasn't won an oscar yet but she has been nominated yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. good um and i think that also it's an interesting story because ava duvernay was a publicist so she worked around hollywood types and then managed to do what she needed to do to get her films made and what i particularly like about selma and i have to be very careful of what i'm saying now because i don't want to say anything that comes across in the wrong way but when you're talking about films about the race relations in America and around the world, you often find that filmmakers fall into a trap, or not even a trap, it's it's just... Um, it's a bit like making films about the Holocaust. It's uh, making films about slavery. There seem to be a lot of films that are made. Yeah. And <clears throat> unfortunately, they have to follow a certain plot because that's the problem is you have your plantation owners you have the idea of the white man who is not his is treating the black man um as his chattel and as his you know thing that he owns and not a real person and then there's brutality and i've seen so many of those films and i'm not saying they shouldn't be made i'm just saying I, I feel, and I feel the same way about Nazi films. Like, you know, Schindler's List has been made. I just feel like, you know, like Jojo Rabbit's coming out soon, which is a Taika Waititi Nazi comedy, and it's got a whole different spin on it. Yeah. Fine. If you're doing something different, then fine. But if you're going to make a film about race relations, I think it's really hard for a filmmaker to go into something which is slightly different. Yeah. And then you've had films like Malcolm X and things like that that focus on, you know, slightly different areas. I'm not saying don't ever make these films. But Selma was a film made by a black woman and about a, a tender portrayal, but realistic, I felt like, or, you know... Um, uh, what's the word, like two-sided, uh, yeah. round, round, very um, rounded analysis of Martin Luther King Jr., not making him a complete saint, but also showing how strong him and his family were. And it shows all the brutality and all the awful things that happened, even when progress was being made in race relations, but at the same time also gives us family time, gives us an example of what the church was like and what the relations are between yeah. the um, white members of, of the political uh, establishment and the cops and, and all of that. And I just felt like this is a film that doesn't just te tell a tale about oppression. It tells a story about a person mm -hmm. who shouldn't be defined just by what the Ku Klux Klan and the yeah, white fascists yeah, yeah, are doing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that was, um, you know, in that year, I could have this wrong, but I feel like in the same year as Selma was the butler. 
which is a Lee Daniels film, yes, or I certainly around it. that time. I it, yeah. And I feel like that film wasn't anywhere near as good as Selma. It's a slightly, slightly different events, yeah. but there's a there's a crossover. And I just felt like the Daniels film was a bit schmaltzy, and it was things that I'd seen before. And like, yes, it had Oprah Winfrey in and all these famous people and stuff, but I don't, I don't know. I just I feel like like you shouldn't be comparing films made by black directors, but I think it is a good comparison in terms of when it's a female view and it's a new voice and Daniels has had all these kind of weird comedy films as well and he's got a bit of a weird for that I don't really like whereas Devenna is like a fresh voice and it, she's also got an unflinching eye but told an entertaining story with a yeah. good cast and um, that's why I wanted to say it was the top film because I think it really did a lot for um, black women filmmakers or anyone who wasn't white establishment it shows you that if you work hard enough and she's not like super young either I think she made her first film maybe in her 30s I think it was um you know, not like Catherine Bigler, who was doing that for a lot of times. You know, she got to make a, f- a few films to kind of practice. But Deverno didn't really have as much practice. I think she had some TV work. Um, so to make something that went to the Oscars, that has this amazing central performance of a famous male character, and to put it in a way that's really good story crafting, yeah. that's why I chose Selma. Yeah. And I think maybe you saying... And I'm not judging you for it because I'm I'm not entirely sure whether I'm saying I thought it was the best film I've ever seen. I wasn't. But I remember after we both watched it, you were like, eh, that was okay. And I think, actually, in these circumstances, like, I don't think you were allowing for how hard it is to get to a point where you can watch a film and go, yeah, that was all right. Do, do you see what I mean? Like, the hurdles to get through um... to get to making that film. I get the feeling. I, I think what it is about about Selma. Um, I, I don't dislike it. It, it, it it's just I, if I characterise it in two words, it would be missed opportunity. Oh, and the reason why that sounds quite odd. And the reason why I say that is because you're telling you're telling a you know historical story here. Uh, m- many of whom people w- would still be alive today. Okay, so you, so you, so you're kind of having to. You're treading a bit of a tightrope here. Yeah. You haven't got that much creative license in terms of in terms of what happened. You get a little bit here and there. But I think she demonstrates it you, with well, the, you've that. You've got a bit here and there. Okay. But what you don't have, however, what 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 you could do as a director is impose yourself on it in a very visual way. You you, you could you still tell the story um, and 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 get and 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 it'll be perfectly compelling, but you could impose your own unique signifier on it, ident- an identifier on it, and just to say, this is my piece of work and it's going to look and sound like this. And some people would say, that's what she did, but I would say it- it's it's unremarkable in that regard. But I think that you're forgetting that for a woman, and particularly a woman of colour, to be even given this opportunity, she must have been absolutely shitting it. She's not allowed to make the mistakes of making creative flourishes to be like fair, she would, To be fair, she would not have be. She would not be the only one um, that would make that mistake. Mm. It's a common mistake. I, I, for example, I think with um, costume dramas, um, particularly you know Jane Austen adaptations and whatnot, things like that. It's a common mistake. Um, but I think what you've got to understand is you, you, there's some, you, you, you've got a plot there which has written itself. It literally has written itself. Um, so all you've really got to do is, is stamp your identity on it. And people are going to notice it more. They're going to identify with it more if you 
do something a little bit different. But I think what you're saying is stamp an identity that you approve of. Not necessarily. I, I'm just saying something something which... Me, ne, ne, I mean, I may not like this. I, I personally may not like the style, ultimately. But you uh, want something flashy, and I'm just saying... No, no, no. no, no. I want... I want Flashy is the wrong word. I want I want to be able to know that that director made that film. But I just explained that I think that that was a film that showed a person with a private life and showed laughter in amongst the tears. And I think that maybe it was too subtle. Yeah. For you. Maybe. Um, I I just I I don't I don't regard it as a particularly piece of. I think I'm just telling a story, telling a history, telling a history lesson, and, and again, that's not what filmmaking, not what dramatic filmmaking is about for me. Yeah, fair enough for your mm. favourite thing, but yeah. I think that you haven't quite realised how difficult it is for a woman to get to that position. Mm. Like, be, being entrusted with a historical story. Like, there's also, you could say that Reese and Mudbound, I bet you you would say the exact same thing about that. Do you remember um, the film? I think there's a little bit more to that. I think okay. there's a little bit more of, of, of something going on in that. Mm. And, there are, and there will be films that we will talk about where there is clearly something a bit more, um, where they are talking about... Um, uh, sensitive subject matter and, and things like that, but they they still put something on it. Um, and, and you know we'll get to that later. But um, in this particular case, it's a, it's a bit of an also ran for me. Okay, good yeah. job. This isn't your list <laughs> because I think that all of your choices are by male directors about male subjects, whereas this is a female director about male subjects mm. and, and Bigelow to some extent. Yeah. As well. So um, I'll listen to your opinion when you put a female director on your list. Yeah. And that's it for part one. Check back soon for part two. Thank you very much for listening to Beyond Beckdale. See ya. Yeah.